Welcome to another episode of Mork's Chat Sports. Today's guest is a former international rugby player. He attended Prince Edward School before he enrolled into the University of Free State. It was in Bloemfontein where he signed his first professional contract, signing for the Cheetahs before moving on to the Stormers. He made his debut for the Springboks in 2005 and gained international attention as he broke a record by scoring six tries on debut. Widely regarded as one of the fastest rugby players to have played the game, and in more recent times, he's been helping out with the Sables in a coaching capacity. I'd like to welcome Tondarai Shivanga. Tondarai, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? How are you spending the festive season? And uh, whereabouts are you at the moment? Hey, Borgs, uh, thanks so much for having me on your show. Um, yeah, so I'm based in Cape Town. I've been back in Cape Town now for the last three years. Uh, I think after a little bit of uh, uh, time in the wilderness, because uh, I, I, I call Cape Town the promised land. Uh, I'm back I'm back where I belong with the family. Yeah, so we, we're going to be spending our time here in, uh, in Cape Town. Uh, and... Um, we're sort of in in and out of uh, in and out of the city. I think we're going to be working pretty much throughout the the festive period. But uh, really, really excited uh, and glad that the year is coming to an end. Even though like we're still going to be working, uh, but it's kind of uh, you know winding down. We're not as uh, busy as as we were. Cool. Hopefully, a better year will be had by all next year. Um, mm. And, and like we do with these interviews, Tondurai, I'm going to take you right back to where it all started for you. You attended Blakiston Primary School in Harare before moving up the road to do your secondary schooling at Prince Edward. Please, can you just sort of touch on how you were introduced to rugby growing up? Were you more focused on your athletics? And uh, when sort of did you shift your focus onto rugby? Yeah, I think uh, studying on from uh, my early childhood, I was actually born in Harare, and then you know my mom had me when she was quite young, so my my grandma uh, looked after me until I was probably like grade six, and then uh, my late uncle uh, Ernest Kawaza then took me in, and uh, he just I think he saw that I had the potential, particularly from from an athletic uh, standpoint, to to make something of my athletic ability. So uh, I moved from Omashingo, which is where I was staying with my grandma in the rural areas, to Harare. Learned how to speak English uh, when I went to Blackiston. Yeah, that was nice. That would have been like around 94, 95. And uh, was fortunate enough to watch the 95 World Cup. And I was really, really inspired by South Africa's uh, win over the, the All Blacks. And I think two things stood out for me watching that World Cup. I think prior to watching the World Cup, the only bit I knew about rugby was that it was a very physical sport played by these, you know, these macho men that uh, chase around a ball for, for 80 minutes. And I think what was even more inspiring about the, the victory for me was the fact that I think prior to, to that as well, my mom would travel to, my mom would always travel to South Africa where she would go and buy various items and then resell them in Zim. So she, when she would come back, she would tell me about all these stories. Uh, obviously, it was during the apartheid days when she was uh, traveling up and down. So, you know, I had two conflicting stories about South Africa. One was that it was it was a segregated country. 
but one the the second thing was that it was also a land of opportunity so i think just seeing how uh, as a young man seeing how madiba used rugby to unite everybody just really inspired me and made me feel that rugby was more than just a sport and i think from a purely rugby standpoint uh, even before i knew rugby uh, and stood rugby i knew john along uh, he was just a force of nature and such a legend even in his death now you know we still watch his old videos of how he ran over that we, we we shall not mention his name <laughs> but uh, you know the, the other thing also from a rugby standpoint was you know just really watching Ch- the late Chester Williams one of my heroes growing up he wasn't a particularly big fella he was black he was you know you played he was uh, you really um inspired me to play rugby as well so you know moving over to Blackstone I was then fortunately uh, introduced to rugby by Chamba Mliswa and Gerard Magranyanga and I think I just fell in love with the sport once I started playing it I was fortunate enough to to go to the best school in the country Prince Edward yeah <laughs> <laughs> and Tigers Tigers all the way uh and I uh, really I think it it was a Prince Edward that my love for the game really just grew because I think uh, as we all know Prince Edward is a little sports academy in itself <laughs> Yeah, you know, being coached by the likes of John Falkenberg, you know, obviously the late uh, Ian Robertson, it really just took my passion and even my from a um, from a skills perspective to to another level. And uh, yeah, it was really, I think, my time at uh, obviously I, uh, they, nothing compares to to playing for the Springboks, uh, but I think from a purely purely enjoyment purity standpoint playing for Prince Edward is by far uh my favorite rugby uh my favorite rugby time wow um a very a very uh, heartfelt insight into your sort of formative rugby years um Prince Edward having produced some superb athletes over the years i just wanted to quickly ask you tonderai there's there's been rumors um and i i just wanted to ask is it true that you played for the Prince Edward first team the Tigers from form 2 onwards so 5 years is that is can you confirm or deny that rumor No that is true um oh, okay yeah that is true so um yeah I was in form 1 in 97 and uh 98 was our centenary year and uh you know Ian Ian Robertson you know saw me playing under 16 um and the 16s uh, rugby and he said hey let's give this youngster a shot and um i was really privileged to to put on that uh, that tigers jersey for for the first time and for quite a number of times so yeah it's I'm, true i'm sure you that's incredible i'm sure you amassed a, a heap load of caps along the way um and then after after your stint with the tigers tonderai 5 years might i add um, you left Zimbabwe and you moved to South Africa um, in 2003, where you enrolled in the University of Free State before signing, as we mentioned earlier, for the Free State Cheetahs. Can you tell us what it was like leaving your home in Zimbabwe and, and what was your new life like in Bloemfontein? Yeah, I think uh, when the opportunity to move to South Africa came about, I must, I must add that I did a few other opportunities prior to to going to to Bloemfontein I think 
my love for Prince Edward had actually prevented me from moving to South Africa earlier because it was an opportunity to, to go to, uh, to Paul Rose. Wow. Uh, but at the time when I saw that Tigers was perhaps struggling a little bit, I really felt that I needed to, to, stay, uh, to stay at Prince Edward and do my bit to ensure that, you know, that we, we have a successful team and I decided to stay. But ultimately, I mean, my dream was always to play professional rugby and I knew that the only way that I could play professional rugby was going to be playing in South Africa. So when I was offered a bursary to go to the University of Free State, I simply applied for my study permit uh, while I was here at Prince Edward. And literally the day that my study permit was coming, I walked out of the gate, went to the embassy, picked up my study permit. I, I think I only had a, a backpack, literally a backpack, hardly had any cash and didn't have money for a normal bus or for a plane ticket and was fortunate enough to get on the last uh, taxi to South Africa and uh, made my way to South Africa believing that, uh, you know, that I was going to make something of my life. And, uh, yeah, going to Bloemfontein was quite uh, quite a shock uh, because it's very, very <laughs> African. But it was also a really, really good time for me. Great people there, a great place to play rugby. And uh, if I have one regret, uh, it's uh, that in as much as I, I got a uh, bursary from the University of Free State, I still need to know where the library is. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, you, you, then, you then moved to Cape Town in 2004 after a, a season with the Cheetahs. You had a fantastic group of players, particularly in the back line, the likes of Marius Schubert, Devet Barry. What were some of the fondest memories you had playing for the Stormers? Yeah, I think before even going for the Stormers, I think it's important to, to mention the, the role that Rossi actually played in getting me to the, to the Stormers in the first place. So what actually happened was that uh, the Stormers were short of um, they were short of a backup fullback at the time, or was it a wing? Um, one of the back three positions. So they were looking at a, another player from the Cheetahs, uh, and Rossi actually said, look, why don't you take Tondra because he can play he can play fullback and play wing. So that's how I then got drafted into the into the Stormer setup. And I think my first season went quite well and but I was still contract to the to the Cheetahs. Uh, that's when the you know Western Province uh, actually offered me a contract to you know to, to sign with them. Uh, so it wasn't actually easy to, to leave the Cheetahs. As I was making my decision to move to Western Province, uh, to Cape Town, I then found out that Rossi had actually been paying, you know, my salary for the cheaters out of his own pocket. So that made it quite difficult for me to to leave. Uh, but my mind already, had already been made up. And, you know, because I really felt that if I wanted to take my rugby a step further, I needed to be in Cape Town. So, you know, playing for the Stormers was amazing by far the best place that i you know that i loved playing and uh, my first season i think i was one of only a few non-springboard players in the team i mean we had a star-studded team we had a phenomenal team you know guys like connie kricha i uh, was uh, still playing he was still springboard captain then you know guys like Werner Freer, david berry maria Joubert, uh, amazing amazing players and uh, uh even 
guys that were a little bit younger, uh, like Scott Berger and, and Jean de Villiers, that obviously later on became absolute Springbok legends, were also part of that squad. So playing in Cape Town was just like really one of the deepest professional rugby moments or rugby uh, period for, for, my, for my career. Wow, that uh, that gesture you mentioned earlier by Rossi uh, Erasmus was touching, and, and it's good to see that he's he's made it to where he is now, a, a World Cup winning coach. So that's really special uh, how he helped you out. And your time with the Stormers was what gave you the platform to make the next step in your career, Tondurai. Outside of Super Rugby, you played for the Springbok Sevens, now known as the Blitzbocker. In June two thousand and five. You then made your debut for the Springboks against Uruguay in a 134-3 drubbing at the Basil Kenyon Stadium in East London. That game was hugely significant for you. It also went down in Springbok history. You scored a record-breaking six tries on debut. What can you remember about the game itself, the emotions that came with it, the build-up and the six tries. Yeah, look, um, I think, you know, when I think of the build-up of how I got selected, so the crazy thing is that I've known Jake White now for nearly 20 years. So I met Jake when I was still at Prince Edward playing, when we were playing at the St. John's Festival. So, yeah, so I met him then, but, I mean, I didn't know who Jake was. I actually didn't even remember him. Then... Fast forward a few years later, I was in Bloemfontein. I was, you know, I just moved over to Bloemfontein. So uh, it was an off day. Uh, I think I could have been chilling, taking it easy like most of us would do on our off days. But on that day, I just thought, no, let me do some extras. I, I jogged down to the stadium, which is a few kilometers away, and started running up and down the stairs. And while I was busy training, uh, Jake White was then the under-21 coach for South Africa. And he saw me running up and down and he called me. And I went to go and say hello to him. And he's like, hey, I remember you from when you were playing for Prince Edward. Then he said, look, I'm looking good. He's seen me, you know, he's seen me playing for, for the Cheetahs and that I just need to make sure that I, I, I get myself uh, ready for when I get an opportunity. And uh, sure enough, the following year, he picked me for the SE under 21 squad uh, to travel to, I think that was Oxford. So, you know, I kept in touch with him. And uh, obviously, when I was playing for the Stormers, then called me up uh, and he said uh, that he, wa- he was watching me quite closely and that he would pick me regardless of whether I was South African or not. And yeah, then I was, you know, quite surprised to get the call to go and, uh, you know, play for South Africa. And... I remember the night before the game, Jake White wrote me a note just to really say that he believed in me and if he didn't believe in me, he would not have picked me and that I must just go out on game day and just just do what I do. So that I think getting that note from Jake really just calmed my nerves and my uncle, I'd actually flown my uncle in to come and watch me uh, play live. Uh, so that was quite significant because obviously... My uncle had played a, an, an incredible role in my in my life in getting me to where I was. So I felt if there was one person that needed to be there to watch my debut, it would be it would be him. I mean, I remember the emotions of uh, singing the South African national anthem. For me, obviously, I mean, I'm not I'm not a South African. It doesn't matter how long I live in South Africa, I'll never be South African. But just realizing that my dream had come true. 
and also just the responsibility of knowing that I think the fact that I had managed to now play for South Africa was so much bigger than just me because I felt like it was almost some sort of a responsibility that not necessarily responsibility but I felt that by me being afforded that opportunity it would also inspire other young Zimbabweans that hey if someone like me could make it they could make it too I mean I always maintain uh, even to this day that in as much as I've worked I worked really hard to get to where I was I was not necessarily the most talented or one of the most talented people to come out of Zim uh, rugby players was a lot of talented uh, players before my time during my time after my time uh, but I was really just uh, I was really just blessed with being given the opportunity because I always made sure that I was prepared so you know scoring the, the six tries after the third or fourth try Jack White actually put a message on the uh, field that I must be given the ball so that I can break the record so it was actually <laughs> quite an interesting thing uh, so I owe so much to Jake and the rest of the team for, <laughs> for for getting me that record but yeah I mean got a long story short it was an incredible honor it still is and I am just so grateful that was a, a fantastic day and indeed you gave plenty of Zimbabweans something to be hugely proud about so after making your debut you went on to play for the Springboks on four occasions in 2010 you moved to the Lions before moving overseas in 2011 where you signed for Welsh club Newport Gwent Dragons. What can you tell us about your move to the Lions and your time in Wales, particularly the difference in rugby culture, you know, playing in Super Rugby and then playing in what was then the Pro 12 and now the Pro 14 in Europe? Yeah, I think uh, when I moved to the Lions, I was sort of at that stage where I wasn't really enjoying my rugby anymore. Uh, My rugby was a little bit stagnant. And I think when uh, that was at the same time that Jake also uh, was consulting at the Lions, you know, the fact that Jake was there, I thought like I could get my rugby back up to where it needed to be. So I was offered a contract by the Lions uh, and moved over there. And, you know, as luck would have me, <laughs> Jake, uh, Jake ended up moving on from the Lions to go to the Brumbies. And uh, then uh, John, uh, John Mitchell came over. Uh, and yeah, I didn't necessarily enjoy my time during the, the John Mitchell um, tenure. So, you know, when that opportunity from the Dragons came, it was, yeah, it was quite an incredible opportunity because I felt like it was really my, my life, my rugby career had been given a bit of, it uh, had been revived. Uh, I went there, there was no baggage whatsoever. It was like starting afresh. Had a great coach in Darren Edwards, really good team. Playing for the for the Stormers, we would be having, uh, I think we were averaging around 33,000, 34,000 uh, a match. And I remember my first uh, my first match for the Dragons. Uh, I go in there and then Darren is like, hey boys, it's a, it's a full house there. It's a full house out there. It's going to be a great game. And, you know, we've got 5,000 people waiting to watch us. So I was like, okay. <laughs> You know, 5,000 people. But that 5,000 people really felt like it was 100,000 people because it was a small, compact stadium. And you could just, you could feel the, the, you know, the atmosphere was so tangible. And 
absolutely loved my time in Wales and I will all forever be grateful for that. I must say it was quite different though, like my first game. So we had a penalty, uh, I think on the 10 and we decided to kick for post. And <laughs> in Super Rugby, you don't really do that. Uh, you know, you kick for touch and you, you try and score tries. So the game was certainly a lot slower physical yes but it was a lot slower so you know i could uh i had a little bit more time to to you know to to rest my lungs and my legs um but it's a a lot more technical a lot more forward dominated uh and and pretty physical okay and as you say the welsh absolutely love their rugby so it's good to hear that you had a a good experience a different experience in the northern hemisphere after your yeah. stint in Wales, you moved back to South Africa, playing for the Sharks in 2014 and 2015, before hanging up your boots. You've now transitioned to coaching, Tondurai. How did that sort of come about? Yeah, I think you notice a, a, a bit of a trend here yeah, that uh, when I moved to the Sharks, uh, Jake White was a coach there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah so I moved to the Sharks... Uh, the, the Sharks was really at the tail end of my career. Yeah, I think I'd had, you know, several injuries. And I think the one thing that uh, I always like, sort of regret is that, you know, I wish my time at the, the Sharks had been a bit better in the sense that the Sharks faithful fans um, had seen the best of me playing. Uh, and I think by the time that I moved to the Sharks with all the injuries that I'd, that I'd had, I wasn't, I wasn't at my best. Uh, so... But it is what it is. That's what happens. That's what happens in sport. Uh, injuries do happen. Father time does catch up with you. Uh, but I, I, I had a great time there. Uh, then as far as the coaching side is concerned, to be honest with you, I never really had a passion for coaching. I didn't think that I would ever really coach at, at an international level. But one thing that I do have a passion for and a 100% belief in me is that there is so much talent in them. And... We have been the most underperforming uh, rugby side of our continent. There is no reason, uh, if you look at the quality, if you look at the number of players that are coming out of Zim, compared to Namibia, compared to Kenya, that we should be struggling to to uh, to make it for the World Cup. Uh, so obviously there was uh, the very unfortunate Peter de Villiers uh, period that, that we had. But it is what it is. So when uh, Brendan Dawson called me uh, and he said he would like for me to be, you know, to be his assistant coach, uh, backline coach, I was like, hey, you know, it's a great opportunity because for me to get involved. Because I, I mean, I'm always of the opinion that uh, don't don't throw stones, don't just make comments that this and this is not right. Uh, what exactly are you doing about it? So it was a nice opportunity for me to actually get my hands stuck in, get my hands dirty, and. Uh, become part of the solution. So it was an incredibly rewarding uh, time, you know, coaching, coaching uh, the Sables, incredible talent. And I think we showed uh, during the, the sport challenge that with a little bit of funding, with a little bit of structure and with the players believing in the system and the coaches, the team can actually uh, achieve the results. Uh, so, I mean, when you look at it, we played against professional teams, the Sharks, Western Province, all the top sides in South Africa, and play, actually played against a few Springboks and Super Rugby players. And our boys, with only a few days of training, 
you know, they were they were able to hold their own and really leave an impression. Uh, and also, I think one of the stories that uh, one not stories, but one of really the breakout uh, stars that we had on the in the team was a, a young guy called Blythe. He came in and he's a flanker. Uh, he came in at about eighty. I think it was around 84 kgs. I stand to be corrected of the exact weight. But within, I think about six weeks or so, he left at about 97 kgs. And that was not fat. That was proper muscle. So now you can imagine, and that's because he was getting trained properly. He was getting proper nutrition. And, you know, and not just him. Uh, all our players got so much better during that period and so I really believe that if there was ever a time for Zimbabwean rugby to get back in the World Cup, this is the time. Obviously, you know, we've been, the Africa, the, the qualifying uh, Africa group uh, team is going to be in there with, uh, with, uh, with New Zealand and the host France, which is not going to be an easy, easy group <laughs> to say the Baptism of fire. <laughs> but that's what we want. Hundred percent, and it's a great opportunity for guys to measure themselves up against, you know, against the very best in the world. So I believe in Dorsey's vision for Zim Rugby, and I believe in the team that the talent that we have. I mean, if you think of the guys that we can actually call on that are playing professional rugby and are playing at a high level uh, outside of the country, we can put up a very good side. But the key is, it's so important for us uh, to have the backing of the corporate world. Uh, the mining sector have, has got a lot of money. There is money that is set aside for CSI type of projects. And I really just think that, you know, if corporate Zimbabwe and Zimbabweans that love the Sables would get behind the team, we can make history again and make our way to the World Cup. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really incredible opportunity for us to, to do that. Perfect, Tonderite. So, as you were discussing, you were involved with the Sables in the 2019 Victoria Cup alongside head coach Brendan Dawson. And as you were discussing, you had a very successful Supersport Challenge in South Africa, which was good for exposure, before going on to compete in the Victoria Cup and ultimately winning the Victoria Cup. So, a successful start to the coaching world for yourself. I hope that. Indeed, you can continue to be involved in the Sables setup. You mentioned that if the Sables were to qualify for the World Cup, playing New Zealand and France, that could be very interesting. And you seem genuinely excited about the future of Zimbabwe rugby. My last question for you before we move on to some informal stuff, what is needed of the players, staff and supporters for us to qualify? I think it's really simple. From the staff... And from the players, one thing that I did see is that certainly the coaches, they are willing to equip themselves. Unfortunately, I couldn't make that trip, but Brendan and, uh, and, and Jason, uh, you know, I managed to arrange a, a bit of a coaching sort of a stint for them in, um, for them to be able to be in a, in a professional environment. So I arranged for them to spend some time with the Hurricanes. And uh, that was an awesome, awesome time that I think, you know, they certainly would have learned a lot from being in that professional setup. So the coaches have shown that they would like to learn and make sure that they are upright there with the very best rugby coaches in the world. 
uh, getting the latest information of how the game is evolving. And I can certainly say from what I've seen from the players, that our players are very hungry to learn and they are not, we don't have lazy players. And I think it's that combination of having a management team that has got a plan, that is willing to improve themselves and also a hardworking team, you know, which is willing to be pushed to the limits. But once again, we can have those two sorted out, but without finances, we are kidding ourselves. It's so important. And at times, it's not even a lot. There's no need to really get into figures, but it's not a lot to just make sure that the, the players have got meals. I mean, we are talking very basics. They've got meals, you know, they've got meals in their bodies and they've got some kind of a stipend that they can also feel proud that, hey, they're playing for their country and they've got kit. Very, very simple stuff. I think with those three pillars, the financing, the coaches were willing to learn with a plan, the players that are willing to put in the hard work and be pushed to the limits. There is no reason why we cannot make it to the World Cup and actually be very, very competitive there. Tondurai, you've spoken very passionately about the Sables and we all hope that come 2022 during the qualifiers, we're well equipped as we can be to take on Namibia, Kenya, etc. I thank you for your insight. I thank you for all the hard work and the giving back element of it. You've, you've given back to Zimbabwe rugby and we're very grateful. Tondurai, before you go, we're, we're rounding off now, but I just wanted to ask you a couple of quick fire questions. You were known as a speed merchant in your playing days, one of the quickest to have ever played the game. If you were to take part in a four by 100 meter relay, which other three rugby players would you have in your team at their prime? Jeez, I've, I've been fortunate to have played uh, with and against some very, very fast uh, players. But um, I would have Paul Yodan starting. Paul okay. Yodan is, I mean, that, that kid is so powerful and so fast. Uh, it's actually, it's insane. So I'd have Paul Yodan at one. I would have uh, Joseph Pata Rokotoko at uh, back, uh, back straight. Smoking Joe. Uh, smoking Joe. Smoking them on the back straight. Um, I would have Brian Abana on the third leg, uh, hitting the bin. And yeah, then I would anchor the, I would take us home. <laughs> I don't think anyone's beating that team. And then you've obviously played with some fantastic players. Do you have, do you have the time to give us a list of the best backline players that you've played alongside and more than happy to slot yourself into the 14 or 15 jumper? No, I certainly would not uh, slot myself there because I've played against really some of the the most amazing rugby players the game has ever seen. Um, I mean, if you think of, from Scrum Off, if you think of like a guy like Farid Dupria, I think he would certainly be right up there with, I'm, I'm certain he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. So at nine, definitely Farid, Farid Dupria. At 10, King Carlos. <laughs> for purely the entertainment and unpredictability. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play with uh, with Carlos at the Lions, and he's such a professional guy, always wants to give back. But uh, at his best, you know, he was, uh, you know, I grew up watching that guy, absolutely loved it. At 11, definitely Brian Abana. He's, I mean, you don't get 100 caps for the Springboks for, for no reason. 
12 is a little bit tricky because I was fortunate enough to have played with Jean de Villiers and Franz Stein, who are two amazing players. But if I had to pick one, I would go with Jean de Villiers. But uh, certainly Franz Stein, it's hard to leave Franz Stein out. 13, uh, once again, another really difficult one. But it would be between uh, Jacques Fourie and uh, Marius Joubert. But I think ultimately Jacques Fourie uh, is certainly, I mean, what he did for the Springboks was just uh, sublime. And I mean, even when he played for the Lions as a... the Lions was 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 always one of the worst teams in the Curry Cup or in the Super Rugby and somewhat Curry Cup, although not the best either. But he was always one of those standout players. Uh, he has made a success every single place that he has played. So at 13, I would certainly pick um, Jacques Ferry. At 14, it would have to be between uh, J.P. Peterson and Sereli uh, Nakalavuki. The, the Fijian. The Fijian. The chief. Um, okay. Yeah, so I mean, JP is another one, World Cup winning winning player. He has, you know, he's had an incredible career. But Sereli Nakalavoki is, oh man, he was for such a big man. I mean, he could have easily, I remember when he was, uh, when we were the Stormers towards the end there, he was so big. Uh, and if he went on a weekend and drank a little bit and ate a bit, he could come back. <laughs> like a good six kgs heavier, <laughs> literally. Uh, but with that with that 120 kg body of his, he was fast. His feet were amazing. He could finish. Uh, he was just a brilliant rugby player. And at 15, without a doubt, Hio Aplon, magic, magic, magic. Um, pace, feet, kicking, everything. Um, and bravery in, uh, in, in, in the last line as well. So that would be my back line. Tondurai, you've played with some fantastic players, a phenomenal backline. That kind of concludes the interview today. Thank you so much for giving of your time, not only to me, but to the Zimbabwe Rugby Union. You're an ambassador of our country, and we're incredibly grateful. And you're certainly someone uh, for us to celebrate in the rugby world. So thank you, Tondurai, for your time. Much appreciated. Thanks so much, uh, Mots. Uh, much appreciated. Thanks for your time and thanks for all these interviews that you're doing. I think it's great for for people to learn a little bit uh, about each other and uh, maybe some of the funny or nice stories that happen in the background as well. Just to give it a little bit of context. We love it, Tondurai. Thanks. Go well, mate. Thanks, brother.